The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to share something tonight that has been um, a great blessing to me in the last days. And it's um, it may be a little disjointed in that I'm just going to look at an event in the Gospels and look at it from different angles as we go through it. But I believe the Holy Spirit will make this alive to you as he has to me. It's in John chapter 20. John's Gospel, chapter 20, and in verse 15. Um, verse 11, I'm sorry. John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Okay, it's... um. I suppose it's a well-known story that happened there in the resurrection, but it has laid a hold on me, and I can't get rid of it, and so I'm going to share it with you, especially the words, Why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? You remember the story, and it's incredible in its simplicity. I mean, you're there in a very beautiful garden, and it was sunrise, and it was sunrise on a spring morning, the sun's just above the horizon, and yet at the same time, as the clock was ticking on that Sunday morning, it was the very center of all ages. Can, can, Can you... I was saying, imagine that. I, can, can your brain even begin to enter that? that? That here, as the sun is rising, which would say just another Sunday morning in springtime, and yet, and yet, that is the very center of all ages of time, and in fact, the very center, if you could think it, of all forevers. This this is the moment, resurrection moment. In that moment, a new creation has sprung into being in the person of Jesus coming out of the tomb. 
But there's someone else in the garden. It's Mary of Magdala. Sometimes we, we know her as Mary Magdalene, but it, it, Mary means Ma- Mary who comes from the city of Magdala. And she has come. There's been others, but I'm not talking about them today. Um, Mary of Magdala has come to finish embalming the body of Jesus. Uh, one last loving look. Again, can you ever enter into where this woman's head was at? One last look at Jesus. One look that you, you cannot believe that you're here. You can't believe you, you're doing this. One, one last act. How could it be that Jesus was dead, that he'd been crucified, and they had carried his dead body here into this tomb and laid him on the rock. It's it's beyond imagination to her, and if I can get inside her head, I, I mean, she had, in fact, I would say she's incoherent. Uh, she is beside herself with grief. Weeping is almost too uh, weak a word to describe what this woman is going through, churning inside, just for starters, to be there at all. Uh, She wouldn't be there if she had um, logical sense, because those ancient tombs, they, they were a cave with a great rock over the door and in a groove, and it would take 10 men to move that stone out of the groove that it was in. Uh, and, and she comes and in, in her, I say incoherence, she's not thinking straight at all. Her tears have soaked her brain to, to think she's going to get to the body of Jesus. The stone has got to be moved and she's a little woman, but she's there. She's there. And when she gets there, she has discovered that the stone has been moved. And when she looks inside, the tomb is empty. The body is gone. Again, stay there for a minute. The the woman is in the state she is in because Jesus has died. But now the body has gone. This This is horror. There's no other word for it insult added to insult not only death that she has to deal with but now a grave robbery they, they've come in, in the night and they they've moved the stone and they've stolen the body and that's when Peter and John have been summoned and they run and that's another story altogether and they they, they see they see what they see and no one has answers, and, and they go back home, and she is left there. That's where we pick it up. She's left there, alone, staring. Nothing in her universe makes any sense at all. And through her sobbing, she, she decides one more look, and she stoops to look into the tomb again. Only this time there is personages there. They're called angels. As I've often said, I wish we had, they'd translated that word. It is a, a word we just left. It, it, the word is a, is a Greek word, angel, which means messengers. 
And so stop thinking of silly flitting things in lingerie. These were mighty angel messengers, and they were clothed in a radiance of white, and they're sitting on each end of the tomb. And they look at her as she looks into the tomb, and they ask the question. They, they say, woman, why are you weeping? Incidentally, uh, the expression woman um, doesn't rate too high in communication in today's world. But in the world of that day, it was the highest term of respect. It is the uh, word Jesus addressed his mother, the Virgin Mary, with that word woman. Uh, you, you actually couldn't have a, a, a greater term of endearment that carries with it the greatest respect and honor. Uh, and so with that in mind, they said, woman, uh, why are you weeping? And again, I have to say the reality of this story, they meant it. The, the messengers were confused at the way in which these humans were weeping over this event. But she has no interest in angels. That really shows uh, where her head is at, uh, if it was anywhere at all. Uh, she's disinterested in the messengers from the invisible world, disinterested in persons who sit radiantly at end to end of the rock where Jesus had laid. You would think if you saw that, you would realize something's up here, you know? <laughs> Something more than a grave robbery is going on if you see these fellows there, but she doesn't. And she pulls back out of the tomb, weeping. And that's when she heard the other voice, the voice behind her, that says, Why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? And you remember she turned to see the voice, and the only way I can explain it, the, the early morning sun through the garden, and Jesus standing against that sun, he would be a silhouette. And again, with the place where her mind was, she had only one thought, that someone standing there talking to her must have been the gardener, must have been the maintenance man. And again, there's much we could say about that, but uh, he, he, oh, if only I, she stood. C can you get this? She is beside herself with grief and weeping in the presence of death. But the fact is, oh, the fact is, it's utterly, utterly different to the way she perceives it. She is standing at that moment, just a couple of feet from the very edge of newness, a newness that the entire creation had never seen or dreamed of before. You understand that? Uh, she was standing within a couple of feet of the new creation himself, which is infinitely beyond the other creation that we read of in Genesis. You know what I mean? In Genesis, you have the first creation, where, when the whole cosmos was called into being. Um, 
And of course, you stand in amazement at the, the, the power of God. But how can I put it? He, he called being out of nothing. And that's a wonder. That's creation. But what is happening here and standing right there in the garden, the new creation is that, no, it wasn't called forth out of nothing. Jesus is the God who entered into death. He entered into unlife. He entered into that entity of death, unlife, and and came out of that. It's one thing to call forth out of nothing. It's quite another to call forth life out of unlife. It's a new creation. Never seen this before. Couldn't imagine this before. In front of Mary that morning stood a new kind of human life that no one had seen or imagined. For Jesus was real. Don't give me any of that stupidity that he turned into gases or something. He was no, no. He was so real. He he was a silhouette against the sun. He was so real. He cast a shadow. Huh. A real, genuine human, and yet in the same breath, a human that the world had never seen. For this one is a human that has conquered, destroyed death. And so in in that human is a new world. Can you describe it? A world in which there is now no death? He is the very center of new hope. Hope as the word has never been known before. In fact, because of who he is in this moment of time, he has brought about a new way of knowing. To know God now takes on a whole new dimension. He is the source of a new way of thinking about all of life. For if death has been conquered, there is not one corner of life that you think of the same way. He, he, he's, he is livingness. He's not merely alive. He, he's trashed death. And so his livingness is that he cannot die again. I say it. That that person standing within a few feet of Mary, no one has ever, ever, ever thought of that. No one's imagined it. No one's ever talked about it. This is so new. Just there, inches away, is the greatest discovery. A life that cannot be conquered by death, but rather has been conquered and shredded. He, he is the life. It's revelation that no other human being had ever known. Come on, Moses had never known this. Abraham had never known it. Isaiah had never known it, even though he spoke of it. He didn't know what he was talking about, and it's very obvious. 
I, I don't know if you, you catch anything I've just said, but it, it's it's overwhelming to think that this, this little image before you, this weeping woman beside herself with grief, and yet she's standing in front of the resurrected Jesus. And she thought he was the maintenance man. Ah, I mean, but yeah. That is so, so real. That makes the whole thing so real. She thought he was the maintenance man, and she thought it was the maintenance man just being nice and asking the question. How many times, how many times does Jesus come into our life disguised as the ordinary? Think about that. How many times has a question been addressed to us in our inmost spirit and we thought it was just the rumblings of a digestion in the imagination? And we were just just a question. You didn't realize that you were actually being posed a question by the resurrected Lord of the universe who is your best friend, your brother, He comes disguised. How many times you've heard a question, a word that came from someone else who just seemed to toss it out, and and yet it was Jesus speaking to you. He comes to us disguised. And when she thought it was the maintenance man, in one sense you can hardly take that in. (laughs) But on the other hand, that's just like Jesus. And so the question hung on the air. Why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Fascinating. The first words that Jesus spoke after he rose from the dead, the first words out of his mouth as the the new head of the body, Lord of all, is a question. That, that, That should make us think a question he doesn't give her a stream of facts he gives a question why are you weeping it is something that has fascinated me for decades that questions are God's favorite way of engaging us you could say it's God's mo he that's how he comes to us. As far back as when Adam sinned, there in Genesis 3, the, the first word from God to Adam is, Adam, where are you? And then, Adam, what have you done? In fact, I think there's four or five questions there that he poses to Adam. No statement of facts, just questions that penetrate down into the heart and and do more than all the stream of facts could ever do. A question. And really, you know, the woman's weeping, and you know why she's weeping. Then why not just give her the answer and get on with it? But again, he doesn't do that. He doesn't. He doesn't come to you with a lecture. Have you noticed this? 
This is speaking of his relationship to you and to me. It's not just about Mary. This is the way he is. That's the way he, he doesn't just give you a book of doctrine. Could I put it this way? He never, oh, understand it. He never invades us. He never ambushes us with an answer that we were not really looking for or didn't know where it was connected. He demands relationship. That is the way God is. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the ultimate original relationship. And everything He does in us and with us is relationship. Which means the question is, I, I want to pull you out. I just want to dump an answer on you. I want to pull you out. I want to get your heart. And I then want to apply the answer in a fashion that builds relationship. Do, do, do you understand what I mean? You can go to seminary and get a degree in theology and still have no relationship. You've got all the answers of a kind. You know all the facts. It's not what it's about. <clears throat> you missed it. It's a question. And the question is addressed to her in her tears because this is going to bring her out and he will speak himself into that. And at that point, her tears and his meeting her in her tears will not only give her an answer, give her a, a new relationship with him who is the new creation. You could say he prepares us for the revelation of who he is with asking us what one could say were disturbing questions. I mean, really, if we can hang around this a bit longer... Uh, to ask, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Under these circumstances was kind of disturbing. The question itself is kind of upsetting. It's strange. I mean, this is a graveyard. You know, it's a cemetery. Uh, you don't go up to people in a cemetery and say, why are you weeping? Do you follow me? It's a kind of strange question. In fact, it sets off other questions. Because if he's asking, why are you weeping? Then is there a reason I shouldn't be weeping? Is there something I haven't seen? You, you understand? To ask that question raises other questions. Um, ha, is there something I haven't seen that makes my weeping out of place and odd? What, what else would you expect in this place of the dead? Is there some new etiquette that I didn't know about and I violated? What are you asking? Why am I weeping? But that, that's it, you see. That's the questions of Jesus. They make you sit up. Ask yourself. Repeat the question. Think about it. He's leading me somewhere with this. 
It's a beautiful, loving, teasing her out of her tears by asking about them. But let me say it again. He came and he said, why are you weeping? This is what has gotten me for hours. He's questioning her about her tears, about her grief, the depth of her emotions. Okay, but let me go over again who he is and what has just happened. Can you take it in that this one that everyone knew as the carpenter of Nazareth is now revealed in resurrection, in conquering death? Can I, can I handle that? He's the Lord of all creation. I am looking in this glorified human body at the one who is I am. He who was revealed to Moses as I am and dominates the Old Testament. I am God, the fullness of God, all that makes God, God. But now in such union with human that he's entered into human death, conquered human death, and is still in a human body. And in a minute he's going to call the other disciples his brothers. He, he, he's declared to be the Lord now of all people and all nations. He's won it by the shedding of his blood and by his conquest of Satan, the liar, the lies and death. In fact, the next moments after this are recorded in Daniel chapter 7, where it says that he who was like the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days, an Old Testament word for God the Father, and to him was given a kingdom that all nations and all peoples should worship him. Grand inauguration. Revelation chapter 5 happened just after this in terms of happenings where it says, I saw a lamb as it had been slain and coming up to him who sat upon the throne and the whole creation reverberated and say, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. That's, that's about to happen, you see. We're getting the historical side of that which happened in the invisible a few, what we would say, a few minutes later. Okay? And that one, on his way to that cosmic inauguration, when he shall be given the name which is above every name, that of the name Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess he is the I Am. On his way to that, he stops and asks a woman, why are you crying? Uh, does that grab you? Wouldn't you say there's something off here? That he who is the new Lord of all creation, who has the keys of death and the grave, stops to have a conversation which is obviously deeply concerned that she is weeping and in such distress. Let that sink in. 
This, this doesn't fit, does it? I mean, we have been raised with the thought of God as really pretty disinterested, isn't it? I mean, uh, you ask anybody, where's God? And they always say, he's up. Well, if he's up, he's not here. Uh, and that's how we in the West have been raised to think of God. He's always up, over, here one day. And then, of course, that idiot phrase that people use these days is God showed up. Like, you, boy, he just made it. Uh, how stupid. How stupid religion has turned this beautiful Jesus into. Here he is, the one the whole world would worship, and he stops because a woman is weeping and doesn't know what to do. And so he stops to ask her, why are you weeping? He's, oh, but just a minute, it, you've got to understand this one is God the Son, the Son of God the Father in that holy trinity, that union of the trinity. And the trinity can never be broken uh, so where one is, the other is. It means that in his question, you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit speaking. The entire Trinity, God, the fullness of God, is bent over to say, why are you weeping? Does all creation stop? the inauguration of the risen one, everything stops. Just just for that minute, because she's weeping. And the love of God doesn't leave somebody weeping. It comes where they are and enters into their tears and says, tell me about it. it it's... If you could see, sometimes when people say the love of God, it sounds awfully cold the way they think about it. I, it's a sort of remote love. I don't know where to put the way some people think of it. But the love of God has in it that, that same fascination. He's fascinated with you. You can't cry without him coming to say, why are you weeping? as a lover, is fascinated with the beloved. Or shall I say, have you ever seen this, a mother just gazing into the face of her baby, watching every little half-smile, every flick of the eyelid? The mother is fascinated by the face of her child. Do you not know God himself likens himself to a mother? With, with you, the child. He's fascinated with you. He's not up. You are in his embrace and he looks into your face and he sees every movement. He knows your emotions. And his questions are his way in. So he can feel with you where you're at. And I say again, it was the Holy Trinity, the Father, and the Son and the Holy Spirit desire to know us, to know you so deeply and intimately. Remember Jesus, only a 
couple of days ago, uh, in, in uh, before the cross, he had said that the Father loves you even as the Father loves Jesus the Son. He loves us. You've got to get used to this Holy Trinity family. It's very different to what religion has painted. He wills. You talk about the will of God uh, and make it some, again, distant, remote, untouchable. Uh, No, the will of God is very simple. Above all else, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever feelings are assaulting you, he wills and it is his will. Above all else, to interact, communicate, fellowship, be with us inside of it. He is our friend, and he wills to enter to the inside of our feelings, to our deepest core self. Why are you weeping? Now, many times, sometimes it helps to look at a scripture and say, what might have happened, what could have happened, what, if I were writing the story, probably would have happened. Have you ever done that? You know, in this case, you you realize why Mary is weeping. Really, she's weeping because she has no clue that a resurrection had taken place. So, I mean, I'm on my way to inauguration. I'm going to the Ancient of Days to be declared Lord God Messiah. Um, it, 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 I, I gotta be going, you know. So, get a life, lady. Get a life. Because just in a matter of minutes, when you get to know all the facts and know that I've risen from the dead, that will be the end of your tears. You stop crying when you know what has happened. So, I, I mean, I, I'm sorry I've gotta go, but it's in no time to cry. No, 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 no. Although what I've said, if it sounded harsh, actually, it's, it's the truth. All she needed to know was Jesus is alive, and then, well, that's the end of tears. But it, no, this I say again is about relationship, not just merely knowing the facts. And relationship from the God side. Jesus wills to know her in this moment of her grief. And in knowing her, she will enter into a joy that no one can take away. For her, confusion. That would be putting it mildly. Chaos. Mental, emotional earthquake. That's her day. Grief, sorrow, and fear. And at this minute, in his exalted position, he wants to sit down with her in the middle of the earthquake. He wants to move into the middle of her grief and sorrow to one with it, to share it at the deepest level and to hear concerning it out of her mouth. That's why he asked the question, talk to me, Mary. Do you know what it means that he lives in you? 
if he's in us, in a better way, we'd say inside of us. And he's not just in us like in some tube or in a cup. When I say in, I mean he's in every atom of your being. He's in every passing thought. He's in your imagination. He knows you. He's in you. And he wills in this real time, in this moment of experience, enter in. He will never address you from the outside. He questions that he might enter even more deeply inside. The question demands her answer, her words. I say it again, he knows why she weeps. But he has chosen, and this is almost another hour together, really, Why would God fill the Bible with questions? Because you have to say, first of all, well, you know the answer. Yes, he does know the answer. But the only way I can put it is that he, and I, when I say he, I mean Father and Son and Holy Spirit, have chosen, I'm, I'm using my words carefully here, he's chosen to limit what he knows because he wills to hear it from you. That, his infinite interest is in you, and he wants to hear your feelings through your mouth that he might connect with the real you. He's not interested in a you of where you should be. I, I, I know... All your religious peers and authorities talk all the time about where you should be and ought to be. Uh, Let me assure you, God's not interested in that. Who's interested where you should be? Who's interested what you ought to be? He loves you as you are, and he wills to know you as you are through your own lips. Let him sit inside your words and know you, because he hears, you see. He hears without condemnation. Without ju- There's no shame when you tell the truth in the presence of Jesus. Huh. It, many people, when they think of such a, what, a meeting with God, shall we say? It, it's almost like being called into the office of the CEO, expecting a reprimand. Some would even think it's going into the probation office and (laughs) meet your probation officer. Um, But, you know, those situations where you go and they've got a file on the desk. And in that file is everything you've ever done since they knew you and before. And the look on their face is telling you they've read the file. And now I've got to do some explaining. You know, you know. Isn't it? In, there's, we're, we're talking about the only authority figure that has any authority. And I suppose one idea that God is omniscient, knows all things, I suppose that would be some file, wouldn't it? But what I'm meeting here is the Jesus who pushes the file aside comes around the desk and sits on the 
chair and says, So, tell me about yourself. I've been dying to meet you, and I want to know all about you. Tell me. Big difference, isn't it? The true and only CEO of the universe has no interest in your file. All he wants is to look into your eyes and hear your heart tell him exactly where you're at. And it doesn't have to be telling him lies about where you should be or ought to be. He just wants to know. And if all you can do is cry, then cry. He loves you. Love demands the exchange of heart, the exchange of thoughts, so that heart and thoughts become meshed without becoming absorbed. Love demands being vulnerable, sharing, nothing to hide because there's no fear. You're in the presence of love. Huh. The greatest event in all history, in all times and all forevers, has just taken place. And she doesn't understand to the point where she's terrified deeply distressed. And he's not going on from here until he's heard, until he's entered into those tears and brought her into knowing, not intellectually, but in her core being, knowing that he's the beginning of the new creation. And everything grinds to a halt and has to wait because Jesus stopped and said, Why are you weeping? So he begins where she is. That's another thing, you see. I said he doesn't talk to us about what we should be and ought to be and ought to know. He, he, he begins where we are. And right now she's weeping, so we're not going to talk about the doctrine of the resurrection. We're going to ask why she's weeping, because that's where she's in, that's where she's at, and that's where you begin. He begins with her tears. But he added, it wasn't only why are you weeping, which I say had questions inside of it, but he says, whom do you seek? Now, again, that's a disturbing and strange question. I, I, I may be pushing it a bit here, but if I find someone weeping in a graveyard, I don't think I'd say, Whom are, are you, who are you looking for? It would be, um, could, I, could I show you the grave marker? Um, it, it's not whom do you seek, it, it's... You're you're looking at the markers of memory. Whom do you seek? That that's a living person you're talking about there. Whom do you seek? Because you see, it's a real question. Jesus wasn't playing with her. He's not playing with her in anything I've said. It's genuine. But whom do you seek? You see. He had told them very plainly on more than one occasion. He told them he was going to suffer, be mocked, tortured, die, and rise from the dead. 
He told them that. And implicit in the question is, didn't you expect to find me alive this morning? I mean, seriously. If you read the Gospels, you see what I mean. This was not supposed to be a surprise. He told them. In fact, just in those hours before his suffering began in that upper room, he told them that they they would be full of sorrow and grief. Um, But as a woman weeps in having a baby, then the joy takes over. Uh, He told them. So why, why do you weep? Whom do you seek? Didn't you expect to find me alive this morning? No. They had not heard it because there was nothing in their brain that could take it in. There were no receptor points in their brain that could take in that this one would ever suffer and die. And as to resurrection, there was nowhere inside their entire belief system to fit that. So they didn't hear it, just like us. And so she was blind and deaf to what the empty tomb meant. And she was blind and deaf to the identity of the one speaking to her. But this is the wonder. There's no condemnation. Jesus doesn't say, you people, for goodness sake, I told you this was going to happen. No, there's, there's no. Jesus never, never. All this stuff you get in religion, I'm unworthy, I'm no good, and oh, you whine before God. Why do you do that? He never, conde- he never condemns you. He never shames you, never demeans you. It's an honest question. Oh, why is she weeping? Because she saw only the power of Rome and the power of temple religion that had crucified him. All she could see was Annas and Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate. Oh, yeah, the characters that have brought this to pass, that brought fear at the very mention of their names and the terror of what might happen to her tomorrow. Because he, the one who made all tomorrows different, is not here anymore. And now the grave robbers, obviously sent by the temple, no, she's, she, she cannot imagine and that's, that's why she's weeping. Whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? You see, the fact is, Mary, I know you want an explanation. That was the question you put to the maintenance man. You want an explanation as to what has happened to the body of Jesus. Yet you want some sort of answer as to where he is. And you think that in the explanation and the answers, you'll be okay with that then. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's why the question why is never to be asked, because if there was an answer to it, it would only spiral you into more grief. No, Jesus is cutting to the chase here. 
You're, you're not seeking an answer, Mary. You're not seeking, you're not wandering around this garden looking for answers. Not really. You think you are, but you're not. You are seeking the person. The person. You want him. And somehow you can't go home with the others. You're, you're looking at the person, but you can't put words on it. As I said, you're in the middle of a meltdown. An earthquake has rocked her very being. Life as she knew it was totally over. Crumbled around her. Nothing left. No meaning left. I mean, you know, this woman is not logical. As I said, coming to the tomb without wondering how they're going to get the stone rolled away. That in itself says they weren't thinking. But do you hear what she said to the, well, said what she thought was the maintenance man? She said, tell me where you put the body of Jesus and I will go and get it. Come on, lady, a little lady. And you say, tell me where the body is and I'm going to go and pick it up and bring it back. She's not thinking. She's incoherent. She's beside herself with grief. She couldn't lift a corpse, let alone carry it. Oh, she had come to embalm the dead, rearrange the grave clothes on a corpse. She'd come to weep over the triumph of the enemy, the triumph of death, and everything that no longer was. She'd, she'd come just to, to, to try and hold the memory of the person who was now gone. As if she could capture a mental photo that she could put in a book with crushed dead flowers. You know how it is. The book of was. The book of no more. She was in the graveyard of the dead, the dark cave of horrors the death of all hope. Why do you weep, Mary of Magdala? (laughs) Why do you weep? Oh my, you're the woman that he cast out seven devils. What kind of a woman were you before that? The woman he forgave, the woman he exalted among his own disciples. And now, as far as she's concerned, her deliverer, her savior is dead. And the multitudes that were healed and delivered and forgiven. And now he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. And he left no rules. He left no formula. He never wrote a book. He didn't leave an example. Because everything he said and did depended solely upon him. He said that he was the only one who had the knowledge, the intimate union knowledge of the Father. He says he had it. And he said that he would share it with others. So he didn't say, now here here it is. He said, "Ah, I'm the one that has the knowledge. And to be one with me and believe upon me is to know the Father as I do. He didn't say, here's the truth. He said, I am the truth. Believe me. He never pointed to another. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the water. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the good. You know. 
He didn't give an it, but presented himself. And so truth and the way and life was not something apart from him. He was it. So if he's now gone, what do we have? Huh, nothing. I suppose you could build some sort of dead religion out of it. Well, they did, didn't they? But the life. See, actually, Jesus was the announcement of the end of all religion. Because religion depends on formulas. Religion depends on rules. And he said, no, it depends on me. Believe me. Come to me and I will give you rest. And so now she's there. Whom do you seek? <laughs> what a question. Whom do you whom do you say? Yes, of course. The only one who was life himself. And so I'm left with if only. Why? What if? What could have been if he Oh religion, yeah, it is gonna sweep in like a vulture. Won't be long, only take a few years, and, and religion will sweep in and, and purge away the weeping for a person, and they'll set up all their rules and organizations and head offices, and they give you their book of doctrine without the living person. And so Jesus, the living person, would become a faded photo, a, a myth, a legend, replaced by acceptable morality and Behavior change. No tears are needed, you see. He's not needed. We've got it handled. Obscene religion. And in the middle of all that, Jesus simply said, Mary. That's it. That's all he said. Mary. You see, he didn't explain the resurrection. Do, do you get it? He didn't. He said, Mary, what does that mean? Huh. If he said Mary, it meant he's alive, but not just alive, the one who got inside her tears and said, I'm here. And just because I'm here and because I speak to you personally, that's the end of your tears. That's who you're seeking. That's it. No one spoke her name like he did. No one ever speaks your name like he does. He called her name. That's it. He announced, he, the resurrected one, announced relationship, personal name, entering into her grief at that moment of time. Relationship. That explained the resurrection more than all the seminaries in the Western world. Oh, dear Lord, to think people take exams on the resurrection and do silly true and false on it when the whole resurrection is. He is alive. And alive, he speaks your name. And he sits down in your deepest self and simply says, I love you. And I'm here. And I give myself to you. We don't want the facts. We want the embrace of God love assuring us just in that embrace that he's not dead and he's not removed from our lives, but he's here and he's now in this moment. That's the gospel. It's relational. 
It's not keeping the rules. Oh no, Mary, your weeping is not the last word. Something has happened. It's more than an empty tomb. He hasn't been removed that you can go and get his body. He walked out of death, leaving death in shambles. This is more than all the prophets anticipated. More, oh yeah, this this isn't the beginning of a new religion. I say it's the end of all religion. Religion can't exist in the presence of the living Jesus. And his questions gently lead her from her weeping into a world that she cannot imagine. It's not only no tears, but it's a world of extreme joy and unearthly laughter. I am the first and the last. I am he that lives. I am the livingness. Behold, I was dead. What words? I am alive forevermore. One last thing. She, she apparently grabbed a hold of him. I mean, <laughs> I can understand it. And, and, and from the context, it, it was, well, you, you got away once. You'll never get away again. And now... Your lives are... So everything is going to be like it was before. I'm holding on to you. We're back to normal. Let's go to the Galilee and heal the sick. No. He says, in some of your Bibles, it says, touch me not. That's not... It, it, it means don't cling to me. Don't, don't, don't try and make things as they were because they never be, will be as they were. This is a new world. He said, I told you about it back three days ago. We have it in John fourteen twenty. He says, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, that I am in you and you are in me. That is in, 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 that we're bonded together. I am one with you at a level never realized before. And he goes on, he says, I'm now on my way. I'm on my way to ascend to my God and your God. That is, we're one. When I ascend, you're coming with me. I'm going to my father, but he's your father. And go and tell my brothers. That is, this ascended glorious God-man in a human body that can never die now. He's our brother. Go and tell my brothers. But things will never be the same again because I won't be outside of you. I, I won't be doing this for you. I'm in you through the Holy Spirit. And now you will go and do it. And you will speak my word. And when I work wonders, you work them. It, it's so much better. I'm not over here and over there. I'm in you. And therefore I can never leave you nor forsake you. It's the better day of the Spirit. I remember when I took some folks once upon a time to Israel and we were in Capernaum 
And, and you, there, there is the synagogue that Jesus. We, it's it's not a fake. We, it's for real. They've they've dug it up and cleaned it up, and you can actually walk on the uh, same pieces of stone that that Jesus walked on. It's there, the synagogue where he worked his miracles in the Gospels in that synagogue in Capernaum. And some people were there and they had their clothes and they were rubbing the floor with their clothes and they were trying to catch something that had been left behind over 2,000 years, you say. And they're hoping that their clothes have touched the floor where Jesus walked and therefore these clothes will... No, 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 no. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away. He will conquer death, but in so doing, catch us into himself in a new way so that where he is, we are. Where we are, he is. Huh. No, it will never be the same, Mary. It will be infinitely, gloriously better than you've ever thought before. You're not dragging him back to relive the Gospels. He's calling you on to live in heaven with him while your feet are on this earth and you're doing on earth the works of Jesus. Well, there it is. My time is gone. So we've had this visit in the Gospel in a meltdown of life and discovered him. I trust as we've never seen him before. Life, life in the very cave of death. It might be a little thing with you, but he's sitting there inside your heart saying, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? That's the point. It's him you really want. And he's the end of the weeping. Well, another blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing embrace you, enlighten you, and bring you to everlasting joy and the laughter of him who is the Lord of death and the grave. So I bless you, and so it is.